0: Father in heaven, we can only understand your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that by magnificent grace that you would flood this place and that your people would receive your word. Lord, we desire more of you, and we pray that you would grant it this morning according to your pleasure. In Christ's name I pray, and everybody say, you may be seated. Today we continue in Ephesians 4 and if you have been journeying with us these past three weeks, uh, we have been talking about the unity of the church and God's plan for his church. A couple of weeks ago I talked about how it is important that the church be unified and that we walk together and how difficult that is. God has called us to walk in patience, in forbearance, in love with one another, and that's not always easy when you are trying to do life with imperfect people. And then last week, I expound upon what God means for us to work together as brothers and sisters in the body. Jesus, after his glorious ascension into heaven, left gifts for his church, And I explain and articulate it best I can that there is not one individual in God's church that does not have a gift. God has given each and every last one of us a unique gift to serve for his glory. Now, I must remind you that that gift is not to be used to make room for yourself or your own fame or your own glory. But God has given you that gift so that you may glorify him And today we want to continue to look at God's church and what he would have us to do. And Bethel, it is incumbent and critical that we all not only function in our roles, but that we are all well aware of what we're working towards. What is the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of your gift? Why did God give you these gifts? And we understand that it is for the building up of the body, but the question this morning I want to answer, what are we building up to? What are, what is the body of Christ supposed to look like at its consummation is what I want to deal with analogy that we've been using. And I want you to know that this whole physical body analogy that we've been using these past few weeks, it is in place so that you can capture what God is doing and desiring from us on a spiritual level. And you'll see this as we begin to dig in the text. No wise builder starts building without a picture in mind of what he wants to build. We as the church ought to know why we are saints, for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So if you're thinking like me, you're saying, okay, so I'm serving to build up the body. I got that. But what does a spiritual mature body look like? I'm putting in a lot of hours and and I'm serving diligently, but I don't know what the finished product looks like when I see it. And I don't want anyone to be confused of what the finished product looks like. It is my goal to make it plain to you. Many divisions and issues happen in the church, not so much that people don't know their gifts and how to function in it, but that they do not know what they are working towards. And it is my heart to help release you, liberate you, your weary minds from the continual cycle of purposeless ministry, laboring before God and yet not knowing what the vision of the church is before an almighty God of the universe. So today, I want you to understand that God the Father is the architect, He is the architect. God is building his church. No one else is building the church. Only God is building his church. And like any good architect or engineer, there is always a blueprint in place so that the workers know what they are to build. Let me say that again. I want to make sure that we all understand. And in, in every good building, in every good project, there is always a blueprint laid out for the workers, so they know exactly what they are to build. And although we may have our different views on what the church should be, God, the architect, has laid clearly in Scripture which is that we are to be built as as it comes to the church. Indeed, this reminds me of marriage. Both the husband and the wife sometimes have their own idea in mind of what the purpose of marriage should be. And although they may be laboring in many ways in the marital covenant, continually friction arises because each of them are working, but not together because their views are different. I believe most marriage problems can be solved if both husband and wife just believe what God had to say about marriage and his purpose of marriage instead of having their own views. And I believe likewise that most of the issues in the church could be resolved if believers just believe what God had to say about the purpose of the church and not our own ideas. Therefore, therefore, All the workers need to be unified on what we are building. If everyone has a different picture in mind, we can be sure we will never reach the goal that God designed for us. Therefore, we must be unified in our thinking. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, church, this brings us back to verse 3 when we first started Ephesians 4, when Paul talks about us being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and to the one faith referenced back in verse 5 that we should have only one faith. Paul here in verse 13 is speaking, speaking about doctrine here. The church should be known only by one gospel. We ought not to be divided on the truth of the gospel, church. We should all have our faith rooted in the finished work of Jesus. It is only by Jesus that anyone can be saved. Only through Jesus Christ can one come to a saving knowledge of God. There is no other way to obtain salvation apart from Jesus Christ. All of us should have a song in our hearts that sing, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. What should be in our hearts, and as you serve in your various ministries, as you quiet your souls, there ought to be a song that says, Oh, the blood that Jesus shed for me, the blood shed back way back on Calvary, gives me strength from day to day. Today, today should be all of our songs in this church, and we should not have another. We should be united. R.C. Sproul says, the church has been known far too long on the basis of schisms than unity. Ignorance, not knowledge, and indecisiveness rather than maturity. We must all adhere to core doctrinal truths of the church. If we venture away to other teachings other than what the Bible says, we will prolong the growth of the church. If you believe the gospel, there are core things you must adhere to because they are foundation eternally exists as God is Trinitarian, one God in essence that eternally exists as three persons. We see back up in verses four through six that the entire Trinity is at work in salvation for all of us. We see the work of the Son, we see the work of the Father, and we see the work of the Holy Spirit. God is eternal. We must also believe in the virgin birth. If we don't believe in the virgin birth, we, we crumble at the foundation of Christianity. We must believe that Jesus, union. for those of you who don't know what the hypostatic union is, it is just a theological term to, to, to kind of uh, give you a shorthand reference to the nature of Jesus. That Jesus was 100% man and he was also 100% God. The greatest miracle in the universe is that God becomes a human being and incarnates himself and walks upon humanity. And when it is all said and done, we must be unified in faith. We must also be unified in the knowledge of the Son of God. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Oh, Bethel Gary, how I hope we grow in our knowledge of Jesus. Words can't describe what it is to know Jesus. Peter encourages this in his epistle. He says, but grow in the grace, in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no one we should desire to know more than Jesus Christ. Who compares to him? There is no one who compares to him. Does Oprah compare to him? Not at all. Does Kodak Black compare to him? Not at all. Does Taylor Swift compare to him? Not at all. Does Jimmy Buffett compare to him? Does Brad Pitt compare to him? No one in the universe compares to Jesus. So why do we know so much about everybody else and we are lacking in our knowledge of the Son of God of the universe? Jesus wants his bride to know him. And I'm not talking with just a head knowledge that acknowledges facts about him. See knowledge that goes down into the heart of the church. And transform her as she beholds him. The knowledge of Jesus must spread in every fiber of ministry, of every person. And if we go back to the, the body analogy, the knowledge of Jesus needs to spread to the hands, and to the feet, and to the legs, into all of us. Are this morning, that we will never have the fullness of Jesus. And I want to let you know this morning that we will never, never, never exhaust all of our knowledge in Jesus Christ. For he is the object of the Christian faith, he is the redeemer of all mankind, he is the image of God, he is the Lord of creation, he is the head of the church, he is the reconciler of the universe, and in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead. Every power in the universe is subject to him, he is the essence of the mysteries of God, and all religious standards should be measured by him. He is the reality of the regulations and rituals of the Old Testament, and by the Cross, he conquers the cosmic powers of this dark world and he crushes them in a moment in a heartbeat by his blood and his victorious resurrection. He is enthroned at the right hand of God, and his knowledge of him is eternal. It will take you in eternity to know all there is to know about Jesus. And you ought to say amen because that means eternity will never, never, never be boring ever, amen. ever. It's going to be exciting all the time. You're going to wake up. He's going to show you something new. You know what? You might not even sleep. It's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. You probably not even going to want to go to sleep. It's going to be good. Okay, let's look at verse 12 one more time in verse 13. In verse 12, he says, To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. If we are seeing this correctly, we are to do the work of the ministry until everyone attains unity in the faith in the knowledge of Christ. So, how long do we do the work of the ministry? Until all of us not only believes in the same Lord, but that we know Him in unity. That is why we teach, this is why we preach, this is why we help, this is why we administrate, this is why we build relationships within the community until the entire body, every one of us can say, I believe in Jesus, I believe he came in human flesh. I believe that he died for my sin and your sin, that he rose again from the dead, rose on the third day, and every since that gospel has changed my life, I've been chasing after him every since. Anybody in the room on a hot pursuit for Jesus because he pursued you first and he captured your heart? Anybody being captured by the king that he captured your heart so much that he transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? And I've been after him ever since. And we want there to be a relentless worship for him around here. And oh, I pray that we would have the heart of Paul when he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything at loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. My Lord, for his sake I have suffered. The loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God depends on faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. And I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection of the dead. Are you willing to suffer to know Jesus? A lot of us want to know Jesus in a cute way. We want to know him in a comfortable way. But do you want to know him in his suffering? Do, do When God takes things away from you and he eliminates things in your life, things that you've been holding on to, when he takes it away from you, can you say it is? Well, with my soul, because I know a savior that is better than all the world can offer. Can you save that church? So we will work the work of the ministry until the blueprint of the Father has been completed. We will strive to complete it to the degree that we can. So you say, hold on, Dexter. What's the blueprint? Is it Bethel Church? Is it Dexter Harris? I want to answer that question this morning. It is neither of those. God's blueprint is Jesus Christ. God's blueprint is Jesus Christ. And he desires that the church looks like Jesus. You look at God's blueprint, he wants the church to be built in a way that we look like Jesus. That's what the blueprint is. And if you're wondering... Well, where can I find this blueprint? It's wrapped up in 66 books here, and all 66 of them point back to the Son of God. That's who God wants the church to look like. Jesus is the blueprint. If we look at verse 13, it says, To mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ is the head of the church, and we the church need to mature into one body that is fitting to the head. So want to make sure that we're getting that visual there. Jesus Christ, he's lacking in nothing. The church is his body. Jesus is fully mature. He's lacking in nothing. There is nothing that Jesus does not have. He is sufficient. The issue is that the church, who is the body, has not matured in a way that corresponds with the head. And so what God wants to do is for the body to mature in such a way that we get in line with the head, who is Jesus Christ. Christ, let to give you uh, a picture here. Uh, uh, all of us who have had babies or have you seen our babies, you know that their heads grow the fastest. And they have quite a noggin on them. And we as parents, we wait patiently for their bodies to catch up. And so the aim of ministry is to get the body to correspond with the head. And I like your Christ is... Is so beautiful, Is so sufficient that God the Father wants us to line up. Does the world look at the church and see Jesus is the question. This is what Gandhi had to say about it. He says, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. We do not want to bring shame on our Lord. Instead, we want to bring honor to him. We must do this collectively. I want to keep pressing this togetherness, this, this working and striving together to look like Jesus because we cannot do this individually. If you try to do this alone, I don't need that church. I'll look like Jesus by myself. It's not gonna work. Paul says that we must work together around here so that more of his love, more of his forgiveness, more of his patience, more of his kindness, more of his goodness, more of his peace, more of his servitude, more of his power, more of his grace is seen in us. So that when people look at the church, they can say that church must be disciples of Jesus Christ. They must know the king. They must know the Lord. It is not the stage in the lights. It is not the furniture or the cool crafts they do with your kids. It is not the location or the paint on the walls. It is not are they walking in, in, in financial prosperity. That's not the point of the Bible. It is do you feel? Do you see? Do you taste? Do you know? Do you experience Jesus when you run in contact with the body? That is the question. It is not how cool are their songs. How do you see dress today? All of those things are foolishness. Does the world see Jesus? Do they see God's blueprint in here? As do you feel and see the Lord. It is us walking as one in spirit it is us having a unified mind of Christ. It is, it is us unified in our core doctrines. It is, it is us loving each other beyond political, social, econ- ethics and economic lines. It is us loving in a way that when a recent epic teen gets saved and comes to church, he posts on Facebook, and this is his testimony, being a part of a church is a wonderful feeling. I love the church. God is amazing. He truly is. His people here that don't even know me have told me their stories, and it makes me want to improve and do better. That's what we want to see happen in this place my heart wanted to leap for joy when I read that on Facebook that Bethel Gary is acting in such a way is functioning in such a way that when a young guy that does not go to church steps in here sees a love he never seen before that is us being the church so here's the point Jesus is the ideal human. He is the ideal human. If you want to know what the perfect human being looks like, you look at Jesus. Jesus is the perfect God, man. He became like us, and he lived the life that we could not. So when you think of what every person should aspire to be like, they should aspire to be like Jesus. Consequently, God wants the church to function as one body. Now, I want you to catch this. This is very important. God wants the church to function as one body. We are to be so unified. We act as one body with many members. Same with your body, you got many members, but there is only one body. And because there's one body, it should be only one person. And that person is the church. And the church should be like Jesus. Basically, the church is one body. A person, and the person should imitate Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the perfect person of Jesus. That is what it should be like. We one body that's unified in such a way. We should love each other in such a way that it's this one body that's functioning with the personality of Jesus. So no matter who they touch, no matter who they go to, they're seeing Jesus on every angle, on every side. No matter no 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 matter where they go, if they go to the ushers, if they go to the deacons, if they go to the nursery. If they go to the mother, if they go to the, I just can't get away from Jesus. They should see Jesus on all sides. They should come in here and be like, I just can't get away from Jesus. I just can't get away from him. I tried to go to the bathroom and the dude's talking to me about Jesus. I was trying to get a break from Jesus. I just cannot. Your paper towel holders are crazy. I don't get it. I just can't get out of here. It's what it should be. Paul presses us further in verse 14, he presses the church a little bit further. Look at verse 14, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul encourages us to be mature in verse 13. He now clarifies verse 13 with verse 14 and tells us not to be children. In verse 13, he wants us to be mature, and he contrasts that with verse 14 by saying, don't be children, don't be kids. Church, God does not desire you to be immature your entire Christian life. God has not designed you to walk in the flesh. Those who walk in the flesh, mark me on this, they act like children. Paul says spiritually immature people are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Let's take those one at a time because we need to dive into that. He says immature people are tossed around by the waves and winds of doctrine. What do you mean, Paul? What is doctrine? Doctrine is a way of teaching Teaching what the Bible has to say as a whole about a particular subject. So a doctrine is telling us and whole what God has to say about a particular subject. Look at Titus. He says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. There's that word doctrine again. And also to rebuke those who contradict it. You must know your Bible, church, bottom line. First, we must understand that that most of the people that Paul is addressing in this letter, they're recent converts from heathenism. And when Paul is talking about this shifting and changing, every time you hear new doctrine, Paul is well acquainted with people that are shifty. One minute they love Jesus, one minute they don't. One minute he cool with them, one minute they don't. He don't, he don't show up for that kind of, I guess he don't exist anymore. He's talking about that kind, of, that kind of attitude. If you look at Acts 14, 8 through 20, you can see how there were these group of people, they were getting ready to make sacrifices to Paul one minute because he preached the gospel to them. And then just a few verses later, they're ready to kill him. That's why you don't get happy when people praise you because they'll kill you the next minute. They did it to the perfect human being, Jesus. What do you think they're going to do to you? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, They got my back. I got a fan club. The moment you make a mistake, crucify him. Get rid of him. This is why we shouldn't be moved by praise from man. Paul is calling us to be. That's why doctrine is so important. Not believing everything we hear. This is why doctrine is so important. There are so many people that make fun of people who give themselves to the study of Scripture and love sound theology. You hear things like, why are you studying? Aren't you supposed to be led by the Spirit? I'm like, what are you talking about? How is me immersing myself in Scripture going to stop me from being led by the Holy Spirit? Doesn't make sense to me. How do you know if you're led by the Spirit if you don't have the mind of the Spirit? You got to have the mind of the Spirit. If you don't study this book here, you will not rightly divide the word of truth. Now, you may pick up scripture you hear on TV and things that you hear around and think that you got a grasp on it. But if you don't study this thing, you'll be walking around with all false teaching in your soul. Sending people off. Talking about, I just need to be led by the Spirit. And you don't have the mind of the Spirit. Impossible. The Spirit and the Word always goes together. And there are so many Christians filled with all kinds of teaching from different religions and society. We think that we know Christ, when in fact we don't because we don't know the truth about who He really is. Most of the letters in the New Testament, you know why they were written? to refute false doctrine, yeah. to refute false teaching. That's why Paul was writing. That's why he wrote to the, to, to the church of Colossae. Yeah. That's why he's writing to the Ephesians, writing to Timothy. He wants to clarify the truth of the gospel. Yeah. The gospel must be defended and it must be protected by the pastor only? No, by the entire church. Yeah. But you can't do that. If you're acting like a child and you're immature in your thinking, I'll give you an example. It's like my daughter, Lila. She's seven months. You guys pray for me and Paige. The, the little girl's busy. I right? mean, She just doesn't sit still. She's crawling all over the place. But here's the issue with her crawling all over the place is that she has, she, 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 she's usually... Picking up stuff off the floor and putting it in her mouth. Eye on this little girl so that she Things that she shouldn't consume. So I got to keep an eye on this little girl so that she don't kill herself. Likewise, there are so many believers that have been in the faith for over 10 years and they're still crawling around consuming things that they should not be Consuming. They are eating things and calling it good doctrine. They have yet to mature to a place where they can say, yeah, that sounds good, but that doesn't taste like truth. Instead, we ought to, we, we ought to not be taking a little bit from Facebook, a little bit from Twitter, a little bit from TVN, and mixing it all together and calling it Jesus when, in fact, it is contradicting the blueprint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is where Satan gets in in the church is that he begins to change the blueprint in the minds of some people. He gives them a different Jesus, and so they start building differently, and all of a sudden you got arguments breaking out. No, Jesus looks like this. No, Jesus looks like that. No, it doesn't. Jesus looks like this. Amen. Amen. This is what we need clarity on. Paul also says that immature people are tricked by human cunning. This literally means to be tricked. Did you know that Satan has hired a hitman to take the church out by tricking them with things that sound like the truth? This is why we must have our swords sharpened so that we can kill his lies the moment they arise in us. Satan tricked Adam and Eve like this, didn't he? Did God really say? Did he really say that? Ah, he's just trying to withhold from you. And he slipped in and snared her and killed her. And he wants to do the same thing to the church. The last thing that Paul talks about that snares the spiritually immature is craftiness and deceitful schemes. Satan wants to lead the church astray by crafty-like wisdom. He wants to present as long as it sounds like truth and good for us so that we eat the fruit. As long as we are immature, he can fill us with all kinds of lies. We must not be immature of our understanding of Christ forever, church. You know the difference between a boy and a man? A man is not easily controlled like a boy. A boy is easily distracted. A boy goes chasing after everything that is appealing to him. He really doesn't have any direction for his life. He has yet to wake up to the purpose and understanding of his life. Therefore, he feels he has all the time in the world and everything is a game to a boy. He doesn't see the danger in his foolishness. Therefore, he doesn't understand the ways that his own foolishness is killing him. This is what I encounter as I work with teens. They have yet to mature to feel the weight of life and see that the devil is not playing games and sin is dangerous. Many women have felt the pain of an immature man loading his cart of life with responsibilities that he is unable to afford. He's immature, he's unstable, he's naive, he's parochial in his thinking. However, a grown man, spiritually mature, he has his eyes in his head. He knows his savior. He has studied the blueprint of the father. You don't get to feed a grown man anything and string him along with poison from the devil wrapped up in Jesus. He is not moved by the trends on Facebook and Twitter. He knows his Lord. You don't control him with weak threats of temptation. He is not satisfied with the things of the world. He has come to grips with his brokenness and his dependency on Christ. His heart burns for the glory of God, and it is saddened when he loses sight of Jesus. He may stumble a thousand times, but he gets back up because his Savior is close at hand. The anchor for his soul is right by him. He knows his doctrine, and when you tell him, you don't need Jesus, he says, that don't sound like the blueprint to me. When you tell him that, that, that he doesn't need a Savior to wash away his sins, he looks back at you strangely and says, that don't sound like the blueprint to me. He knows his Jesus, and when you know him, when you know that you know that you know that you know him, there's not a devil in hell, there's not a person on the planet that can pull you away from him. Therefore, we must be stable. And not be like children. We must hold dearly to truth and love, church. Brothers and sisters, we are to hold dearly to the truth. We must not compromise on the truth of scripture. We are to contend and fight for it. The life of the church is contingent on the truth on which we stand. But let me say this. You are not to be jerks about what you believe. Just because you got some theology and some doctrine doesn't mean you get to be little and look down on people. We are not to be puffed up with what we know, but we are to speak the truth in love. Now I know this verse is used out of context, usually to shut people up. I'm talking about speak the truth in love, you're not speaking the truth. We have freedom to to That's not necessarily true. You're not getting away. We, are, we have freedom to, to speak the truth. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, according to verse 15. So all of our correction, our guidance, admonishing, and even rebuking is so that we may all grow up. So if you're stuck in your sin or entangled by the devil, we may have to speak some hard truth to you. We may have to call you out on some things, but we ought to do it with a heart of compassion. Everybody doesn't have the doctrinal knowledge we may all have. We are all in different levels in the body of Christ. But Bethel, Gary, we are to have real conversation with one another. I mean, really real conversation that pushes us past this superficial, hypocritical love towards one another. This, this just Sunday love that we have for one another. This one-day love that we have for one another. This love needs to expand. It needs to spread through Sunday through Saturday for one another. And it's not going to happen if we can't speak the truth in love to one another. It is easy to say we love one another and not talk about the hard things or things that offend me or simply hear each other's story, or talk about my background. We got to have these conversations, and they have to happen in the balance of love cultivated in our hearts by the gospel. It's going back to Christ, we'll make sure that this blueprint gets finished. I want you to know this morning that it is not on the church mainly or decisively that this blueprint will be finished. This blueprint that God has to build his church like Jesus, it will come to completion. And it is not on the basis of us, but it is on the basis of Jesus. Look at verse 15 and 16 again. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And I'm so glad that Paul wrote verse, verse 16. He could have stopped at verse 13. Because verse 16 lets us know that this building up of the body is mainly contingent on Jesus. Know that the guarantee of the body that we are all a part of, Paul came to let us know that the guarantee of completion of this work is not contingent on us ultimately. In this verse, we find that Jesus is the head and the leader over his church. We find out that he is still in the business of building his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against him. Jesus will cause things to function the way that it should. He is sovereign over the whole thing, and the only way Satan can defeat the church is that he has to go through the one who has King of kings and Lord of lords written on him and I'm so glad things is not ultimately dependent on us. This entire body would be a wreck if it was contingent ultimately on us. This I know, church. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So all of our spiritual growth we owe to him. All of our spiritual growth is ultimately due to the Savior. Leaders may be you. Brothers and sisters may be used, but they are only vessels. When it all boils down, the only reason we are still standing, the only reason why you'll wake up tomorrow a believer is because Jesus is on the throne, church. You should have lost your mind already, but he kept you. You should have thrown your faith away, but he has kept you he has a way of holding things together he holds every atom and proton together he holds the universe together by the power of his word this holding together thing is not foreign to jesus jesus is sufficient in holding things together and i'm sure of this one thing that he will hold this church together until we're looking and acting and talking and loving and breathing like jesus Jesus is our solid rocky, and he is our cornerstone whom we are being built on. Listen to Hebrews. Who, has, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory... is the builder of a house, has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone... But the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence in our boasting and our hope. Jesus' church is overseeing the whole thing He is greater than all those who came before him. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than Isaac. He's greater than Paul. He's greater than Peter. Jesus Christ is the builder of God's house. And with all that being said, we need to walk this bodybuilding thing out in love. God has not just called us to build, but he has called us to build in love. Because basically, Jesus is here, and basically, what I came to deliver this morning via the Holy Spirit is that God has given us a blueprint, and it is Jesus. The church is to be built as such. Now, I know some of you may argue this morning and take up issue that the church must look like Jesus Because you want the church to look like yourself or you want the church to look like your favorite pastor on TV. But I came to tell you this morning that God has a blueprint that he is not willing to negotiate on. He has a a blueprint that he's not willing to deviate on. He has a blueprint that he has set from the foundation of the world. And his name is Jesus. You may have your own idea in mind, but God has an idea and the idea is Jesus Christ. And for those who would would argue and contend for a different blueprint, I say to you, you are the creation. You are not the creator. You were made for him, by him, and through him. Your family was made for him, by him, and through him. Your gifts were made for him, by him, and through him. The church was made for him, by him, and through him. Therefore, there is no other blueprint. We, the church, will live this blueprint out until Oprah knows the Father is Lord over all. To know the love of the Father. We'll live it out into the homeless knows that he cares about the Imago day. We'll live it out to every struggling teenager that has been abused, knows his love as a father. We'll live it out to every woman that has been abused sexually by a man, knows his love, knows his contentment, knows his sufficiency. We'll live it out into every cancer patient, every sick person knows that he's a healer. We'll live it out into politics and, and, and and ethnic and all other things stop dividing us. We'll live out this blueprint into the entire world down in Australia and to the endless reaches of space. Know that He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and besides Him, there is no other. There is no other God besides Jesus Christ. We'll live it out, church. God has given us a blueprint so that we look like Jesus, and far too often. Heart looking like Jesus is contained in these four walls. But I came to tell you that Paul says that he is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. In church, we got to get past just coming to Sunday church and being okay with that. We got to go beyond these four walls, and we got to embody and live and show people that there really is a God. They need to look at you and say, oh, okay, I believe that he has risen from the dead. But far too often, people look at the church and say, you said that your God rose from the dead. Well, you sure enough don't act like that. Now, you can sit there cute if you want to, but when I hear that a God rose up from the grave, I kind of want to do a backflip. I kind of want to run a little bit because when I think of how great he is, I want to praise him in such a way that the earth will quake because of his glory and his mercy towards his church. Jesus Christ is God's blueprint, and he's building this church. And he's shaping each and every last one of us so that we individually look like Jesus and that we collectively look like Jesus. And I charge you today, this morning, church, that we as a body would be faithful to this blueprint, that we would strive together collectively to look like Jesus, that we would die to ourselves in our immediate preference, in our desire to just be served and to serve one another until we attain unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and that it is evident that this church here, Bethel Gary, loves Jesus with all our hearts and souls.